Welcome to The Joe Cohen Show. Join me as I share my experience with biohacking and invite top health experts to explore the latest technology, supplements, research, and resources for optimizing your body and brain. Hey, everyone. I'm here with Michael Smith. He's a naturopath of 20 years. He's from Australia originally, and he's an avid user of Self-Decode. He focuses on gut health, fatigue, autoimmune conditions, and we're going to talk about his experience in helping people heal from those conditions and his personal journey, as well as how he uses Self-Decode to optimize patients' health. So think, thanks for coming on, Michael. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been it's a pleasure. Take us through your personal journey about how you got into this. You, were, you mentioned you were a chef for quite a while and you became a naturopath. Take us through that journey a little bit. Yeah, I started off as a chef working in mainly high-end restaurants and I did that for 15 years. Probably after about 10 years, I knew I wanted to escape from being a chef, but didn't know what to do. And so I started to just travel around and uh, got really run down as a chef. So I actually went and saw a naturopath for the first time ever, followed the, the instructions exactly, which is sounds not exactly like most people. Most people need to follow up, but they told me what to do and I changed my diet and lifestyle and was amazed at how much better I felt. And at the time I never really thought about going back to study, but I went, when I, on my travels, I met someone who studied as a naturopath at a later age or at the time I was 28, they were 48. I thought they were really old. And so I headed back to Melbourne in Australia and did the properly degree. Okay, nice. And so. When you're seeing patients, uh, your fo- tell us how you go about healing gut issues, fatigue, autoimmune conditions. What's your process there? What, what do you do? Well, it's definitely changed over the years. Like after training, it was not much testing. It was just telling people to eat better, maybe give them some herbal medicine, put everyone on an anti-candida diet. That was a trend at the time. And but after a while, that would work for some people, but not for everybody. And so after a while, I started to study more about functional medicine and it was probably 10 or more years ago, I had my own 23andMe data done and ran it through one of the companies at the time and found out I had MTHFR. So at that time I thought I must take lots of B vitamins and that didn't work well for me. So I then went down another track of, yeah, just studying more and more into this, but now a lot of people come to me, they've already done the diet and lifestyle. So the, like, I think the most important things are sleep and exercise, diet, and sometimes people are doing two or three of them, but not all of them. And then I always get people to focus on that, but I'll run like a series of tests, usually starting with basic bloods and maybe more extensive blood testing, depending on someone's coming to gut health that maybe looking at some advanced tool testing, looking at hormone levels, things like that. Just getting an overall picture of where they're at. Are you using like organic acid testing or you're testing like you're doing CBC, CMP, like some of the basic tests or what's your focus? Like most people have had the basic tests, which I think are important to read and look at, but often they haven't had like a cholesterol health. They may not have had more advanced lipid markers and lipid proteins or Many people haven't, they may have had hemoglobin, but not iron and ferritin. So I'll just do more detail there. I do organic acid testing. One of the labs I run, there's a fairly new test out called Nutristat. It has 240 markers and organic acids is part of that. They've got amino acids, heavy metals, omega-3s, omega-6s, all the cholesterol. As you, as you can imagine, 240 markers is a lot. So I've started... I did that myself last year and I started running that with clients, but also customize it. Someone's clearly that's had thyroid testing. They may not need repeat detailed thyroid testing every time. So I can customize that to what people might okay. need. How, how does self-decode fit into that picture with your practice? If someone's ran their labs through self-decode, I find that self-decode is like my cheat tool. It helps me hone in on what to test. But also looking at all their genetic predispositions, looking at areas I may not have thought of running down before and looking at their, what I might need to test for, or like recently I had a guy with mold toxicity. He definitely had mold, he's worse with mold, but whenever he'd go away, it, 
from the mall in front of his house. It was not a problem. And when I looked at his self-decoded, he didn't seem to have the genes for mold, which obviously doesn't rule it out. But it's turned out his main issue is more environmental toxins. He's reacting to other things. And so doing mold detoxes is not going to work for him. So just gave me some insights into things that I wouldn't made it maybe a sort of useful. It gives you like a lot of different risks that you could look through pretty quickly. Just scroll through and say, okay, interesting. I use it like that. Also, I, I guess you're mentioning as a differential diagnosis kind of tool as one piece of a data point and be like, okay, this kind of makes it a little less likely he doesn't have that genetic predisposition. But I also go through with clients, actually, I look at their genetic risks. I said, do you have this? Do you have that? Are you suffering? And they're like, okay. a lot of times they're like, how did you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then what I do is I'll look at their recommendations. So we actually have a new update with the recommendations. I mentioned it briefly and maybe I'll just share my screen a little bit just so people could see. I, I want to continue with you, how you use your practice, but essentially it, this is all types of recommendations. You could filter by dietary supplement. Do you, do you use the filters by like supplements or whatnot? Yeah. So I'll filter. Yeah. Like. A lot of the lifestyle things, I might just tell them myself, like what they need to focus on. Cause I've done like an extensive case history and see what they're doing and not right. doing, but things like supplements would probably be the biggest one I'd filter out or filter to see what might filter be up to. Yeah. And lab testing is another one too. One of the main things I use it for is actually just looking at the recommendations. The recommendations have gotten really smart and we've been working on this over time. This, it's actually a pretty comprehensive algorithm. It's looking at, so if we look at, let's look at something a little less common. Agmatine is something you probably haven't even heard of, or maybe you have, but it comes up as number five for me. And I, it's one of my favorite supplements, actually. Yeah, something I've never and, prescribed before. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it works really well for me, and I was surprised to see it as number five, but it, it goes to show you that the algorithm has gotten a lot better because of how well this works for me. I take a very high dosage of this. Normally, like companies are selling 250 milligrams. I was, I, I take two and a half grams because I really like it. But in any case, and you could, yeah. I was going to say, and you found that more is better for you, like just with the way you've started yeah. off small and gone up and. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was taking low for a while and then I just tried very high and I settled on a dosage. And I follow, I look at my lab test, make sure nothing weird is going on there and based on how I feel. So there's a lot of things that are going into the dosage. I'm, I'm not telling people to take two grams like me, mm -hmm. but, but in any case, we look at it, we look at the genetic predispositions. It's helping with these, which is interesting. You could look at all the other DNA predispositions that I don't have a high risk for, and you could see the lab markers that it's helping with. That's actually cool how it tells you what lab tests that influences because so many times people, they just do a yearly blood test, which is, and whereas they can, if, if you add this supplement and you can say, well, this is what this is going to help with. We need to recheck this. If someone's got high liver enzymes, you want to check it in a couple of months time, at least, and check that they're coming down. You don't want to wait 12 months to see what their liver enzymes have been doing for the last year. Exactly. But yeah, I find that it's very, I agree with that. It's very helpful for the lab markers as well. Because if you think about it, what is, when you want to make a recommendation, you, you want to make it with as many data points as possible. And I already, just talking to you very briefly, I understood that's how you think. Yeah. I probably don't test people, because you test fairly frequently compared to most people, but I think people need to check at least three times a year. Like the things that are out of range, like I like to do a super detailed test once a year and then whatever is out of that, like then I think follow up really and make smart. sure they're coming into range. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think for most people, I don't think they need to do what I'm doing. The reason I do what I do is because I do so many experiments. And so yeah. when you do a lot of experiments, you want to make sure, and, and I'm doing things that are somewhat radical, meaning the amount of supplements I take and just, I go hard at things. And so when you're playing at the edge, it's different than when you're more like playing in the average. At the edge, you're more likely to have something go wrong, right? <laughs> but it, you could also be have more likely for something to go right if you know what you're doing. And that's the zone that I'm in. I'm like 
playing at the extremes. And so that's why I do more frequent blood testing to make sure that, and also to help other people understand me. It helps me understand every time I do a blood test, it gives me like a personal insight to then, which can help me guide how to make that software, how to make self-decode better, right? And so self-decode is really almost a journey of my process in solving 60 different health problems and also getting the lowest rate of aging in the world. I'm curious uh, your opinion. Is there any data points that you think of that, for example, so what I think is I look at my symptoms, conditions, and goals, okay? And because that's very important as a base of, okay, what kind of recommendations you want it to match your symptoms, conditions, and goals. And usually people have many goals, multiple symptoms and conditions, like you had gut problem, fatigue. And so if you have something that helps with not only gut problems, but also fatigue, you're going to prefer that recommendation than something that only helps with gut problems. And getting recommendations in that way also gets to the root problem better. Because if you have gut problems and fatigue, the underlying biology, if something helps both, it probably helps the underlying biology even better. And so that's like number one is you want to get as many of those as possible. And then the, the way that I, the reason I love genetics is because while each thing is not diagnostic, you can't like diagnose somebody, they, you have a mold issue or you don't have a mold issue. But because you ha we have 500 different risks, that amount of data, we can give like a best fit with, okay, this thing can counteract these 30 risks that you have. And this means that you don't have to get some condition in the future. Or if you have that genetic risk being current, then, you then it could help you with that currently. But you also want to prevent things in the future because disease starts most of the time from day one, chronic disease. I'm curious if you think there's anything additional that you would include in those weightings. Well, as far as, as far as the genetics go and the long-term stuff, like I found Celtic code fantastic, but looking at the many people, they wait until they're 70 until they break a bone, they get a bone density test. Yes, you've got osteoporosis, but like recently someone came up, they've got a high risk of osteoporosis and they're in their forties. I'm like, this is the time to get a bone density test. You're not going to have osteoporosis. We want to see where you're at now. And, and they actually did have osteopenia. So now this is where they've got to start working more at it. The big, the other big thing that I find, like you mentioned symptoms, sometimes people list their main three or four symptoms, but they forget to tell me that they don't sleep very well. Or like one guy said, yeah, I sleep fantastic. And I, I left it at that. And then he was like, I can sleep anytime. And I'm like, well, that's not normal. And. Can you say, I can fall asleep for an hour or two in the afternoon. It turned out he had sleep apnea. Like all night, he thought he was asleep. So sometimes you can't rely on what people are telling you. You've got to dive a bit deeper and work out what their symptoms are. Like they book what they think their symptoms are, but they're ignoring. But yes, the self decode helps to bring that all together and then helps me asking questions of what, what they need to be doing. And yeah, right. even some of the personality traits on self decode, like people freak out at how accurate that is. It may not be 100% down the board, but people are like, it almost, that's part of the, the analysis that people think maybe this is really true because I do behave like this. So I find that quite funny. Yeah. And the sleep apnea one with genetics, you're not going to, it's not a hundred percent because there's many other factors. So it's, it's it'll yeah. never be a hundred percent. And, but it can help you figure out if you see somebody's at high risk for sleep apnea. Now that's something you need to dig into more deeply than you may have if you didn't see that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I explain to people like I have the genetics for diabetes and a family history, but I live in, if I lived a typical Western lifestyle, potentially I would get diabetes, but I'm pretty confident that's not going to happen based on my labs yeah. and lifestyle. I personally think that all these chronic diseases are preventable, but if you prevent it from an early stage, and I don't think anybody does that. Yeah. And you write about testing at an early age, like luckily with podcasts these days, like I will get people in their twenties coming to me and saying, I want to get some detailed testing, which is great. Like it's something I never did. Or if I did a blood test, it was probably when I was sick, but generally it's people in their forties, fifties, like getting to my age and they're like deciding that this is the time to change. 
and it's not too late, of course, but they would have been so much better off starting in their twenties and thirties rather than people could have some strange blood test results, but potentially they've been you know, a little bit out of the normal and it's just their normal for their entire life. That's why having lads when you're young and healthy were things where you always lightly low on platelets or something like that. So there, that does happen sometimes. Like you said, the platelets, I've seen that somebody's low on platelets. Somebody could just be higher on ferritin. But so many people, they, they send me their blood tests and say, yeah, everything's fine. And sometimes there's things that are just not fine. The doctor hasn't mentioned it to them, but I like to upload it to selfie codes and send them the PDF with all the optimal ranges. And they're like, oh, that's, yeah, that's not right. It <laughs> helps motivate them to make these changes because they don't know that there's something wrong. I had one person that had just above the range in iron and I sent them back like literally a month later and the doctor said, no, you're fine. And they were just below the range and he suddenly, you're anemic. <laughs> and the, the labs had hardly changed at all. That's interesting. But yeah, it's just really interesting. People just think that either they're normal or not. It's like saying, are you strong? There's a bell curve of how strong you can be, right? And you could say like the optimal strength is you want to be as good as possible, right? You don't just want to be normal because if now if you're like normal in the United States, you're going to have a big belly, you're going to you're going to you're going to have all these kinds of issues. So normal is actually not good. I, I don't I wouldn't want to be normal average in any health area <laughs> in any yeah. population to be honest. I've seen global populations. There's nobody who has it. I look at the blood tests I'm just like, this is definitely not optimal. And people just say, like, they go to the doctor and the doctor says, yeah, it's great. It's fine. Basically, what they're saying is you don't have a disease. Yeah. You, like, and sometimes people, they really unwell. They go to the doctor and do a blood test and everything comes back fine. But like they've done the CBC, CMP. And right. yeah, for sure, this, they could be perfect and you could still have some other problem going on that's not. That's where potentially some of the more advanced tests can be good or looking at the gut health or more hormone testing. So what do they have, you know, optimal ranges? Yeah, everything has optimal ranges and you got to know what those are and then what to do about it, right? I've really been very surprised at literally how every marker, because I did not expect it even when I knew a lot about health. I knew a lot about labs and I just thought a lot of labs are just genetic and doesn't really impact and, ma and maybe you can't really influence them. And then I've just been testing and doing a lot of research and we have our research team and self-decode and I'm just like, wait a second, every single lab, I'm measuring 250 lab markers, every single one can change. With can be improved, different, yeah. Can be, could be improved, could get worse, right? <laughs> if you're not doing the right things. And so I've been doing certain things. There, there were certain things I did that made them worse. And then I realized, oh, wait a second, I got to do this or not do that. And, but yeah, so it's, it's been incredible that, that kind of understanding. And I think people like you are on the cutting edge where you're looking at data to make decisions. And a lot of doctors, I feel like are not really taking into, taking into account very limited amounts of personal data when making health decisions. Yeah, I definitely look at the data and I like to track things myself and tracking sleep and tracking exercise. And but sometimes for some people, their biggest issue is their whole nervous, they, they just got to calm their nervous system down. They just, I fell into the whole breathing exercises thing many years ago and I didn't realize I had a breathing problem until I started playing a didgeridoo and traveling and suddenly my health is so much better. And I realized that, and I could never swim 50 meters without feeling like I was drowning. But after playing the didgeridoo, which turns out to be very much like Buteco breathing, you're probably familiar with that. Yeah. And what? so after playing the didgeridoo, I could suddenly swim for a mile without even trying because I'd proved my breathing. Interesting. That's, that's very interesting. Take us through, if somebody has a gut health issue or chronic fatigue, what are you looking at? What are you trying to figure out to get to the root cause of their problem? First of all, Asked a bunch of questions and see what makes it better or worse. And certain, there's certain clues if someone's, yeah, feel all bloated and gassy when I eat more vegetables and try and be healthy, then they may have SIBO or something like that. If someone's, yeah, just added more fiber and so much better, they could just, it could be just their diet. But a lot of people have tried lots of things. So I'll normally run like a, 
stool tests and look just to see if there's any underlying pathogens. Most people don't have them, but they just maybe have lack of some of the good stuff, too much of some of the less ideal bacteria. So looking at the different, just the microbiome and digestive enzymes, inflammatory markers, just seeing what's going on in the gut. Do you find, what percentage of people come back with pathogens? Pathogens is probably quite low, like 5% would have 5 to 10%. Like so many people, like I, I have parasites and if you do a test and they don't have parasites. Or if they do, it's one of the ones like blastocystis, which is maybe something that's just part of the microbiome these days. It's, it's may not be, need to be killed. And I've found that you improving and lowering the pH of the gut, like it shrimps people just too alkaline in the gut and improving the good bacteria, adding more prebiotics. Sometimes you can get rid of things like blastocystis, just doing that oh, without exactly. adding in microbial. So I've gone more away from trying to kill everything that's overgrown to try and support and nourish the microbiome and, and get the whole motility going and the nervous system of the gut going. Okay. And uh, you're trying to increase the, decrease the pH through increasing butyrate? Yeah. So either with supplementation, but ideally like prebiotics, food, like diet. Yeah. What kind of prebiotics are you using? Are you, depending on the person again, I might start off with sun fiber or PHCG as a, probably the gentlest one. That's like FODMAP friendly. So most people doesn't cause excess gas bloating, but I'll use. I tried that one. Do you like it? It's good. Yeah. I like it. Things like inulin, arabino galactin. What about resistant starch? Yeah. Like resistant starch, usually from diet. Like I'll just tell people if you're making potatoes, make a few extra and have them for the next couple of days or cool rice is a big one. I'll tell you though, yeah. for me, I was never able to get in uh, resistant starch for my diet. I could never tell a difference with my diet. I try the cooled potatoes, cooled rice. Yeah, I don't do that well with potatoes and rice, but that's a different story. But still, the amount of resistance, I, I've never been able to tell that I'm getting at. Whereas when I take a specific resistant starch powder, I actually was able to feel the butyrate. After, after it entered the large intestine. So there's a, depending on how quick my gut is, which is actually an interesting gut motility test because I can feel when something, when I take it in and when it enters the large intestine and I feel the butyrate because it does pass the gut barrier and it does reach the brain and I feel it and I feel really good and I feel like it. So I've been doing that for, been taking 40 grams of that resistant starch for quite a while. Oh. And yeah, and that's why I sell it now also, because it's one of the few things that you can't really get it on the market easily. And uh, it's, uh, it's derived yeah. from corn. Yeah, so it's called Joe's resistant starch. Um, I love it. Just the amount of benefits from butyrate is, is great. Yeah, I actually haven't tried it, but I'm always looking for something that's good for people who are sensitive. I had a client the other day, I was telling him he needs more resistant starch. He was actually, he can't, he's got to have a really limited protein and fat diet at the moment. So he's left with carbohydrates and he's, I've got a bottle of this Joe's resistant starch on the shelf and he sent me the ingredients of like, and I made the connection at that time, but it's, yeah, that's awesome. Take that. <laughs> it's really great. I've been, it's my, it's one of my top supplements for the past minimum. Yeah. Over 10 years already, 11 years. And I've been just taking very large quantities. It's one of the only things that gets rid of my food sensitivity. So I tried all the other fibers you mentioned. They don't do the trick. It's because the butyrate is really what does it. And this is the most specific to butyrate. And you can take in quite a large amount without getting gastrointestinal effects. It's a game changer, really. Like nothing has been this consistent in my protocol. Yeah. And what about people who, are, who have SIBO and they're just sensitive to fibers in general? I find some fibers okay, but this is okay as well. It is. You might want to start a little lower then. If somebody's got SIBO, then they could be getting gas from any kind of carbohydrates or they're just much more sensitive to gas. And there, there could be, I don't think it's a problem. I actually think tons of people have SIBO and I think it just goes away naturally over time or, or some people. It goes away naturally over time if you fix the underlying cause. We should put it that way. Yeah. And it'll never go away if you don't. Meaning, is your gut acidic enough? Yes or no? Do you have quick enough motility? 
So if your motility is slow, your gut is not acidic, and you're eating a lot of carbohydrates, that's the perfect, and you don't have the right bacteria, you're getting SIBO, right? And you have a certain genetic predisposition also. So if you don't have, if your gut is not predisposed to like, if you're predisposed to IBS or something like that. And I was basically trying to challenge my gut as much as possible by taking as much fiber. And so then when you challenge it, you realize that, hey, I want to make it go faster. So I started doing a bunch of stuff to make it go faster and and it worked. And I, I don't really have any, I don't have any problems with that. But yeah, I, I feel like that's, you need that butyrate one way or another. My recommended starting dose is 20 grams a day. It does come with a little glycine, so it helps a little with the gut, just as part of the as part of the fiber. But I recommend forty grams for optimal dosing. And there's, it's butyrate is one of the most incredible molecules. Like it, it's just good for everything. Cancer. Yeah, even disease. brain inflammation. There's been brain studies on autism. Everything is just, it's one of those things that's, it's just part of, it's just like people naturally get sun, they exercise, people have always eaten fiber and you need, people have always, like people have always been creating butyrate and it's one of those things that, yeah, okay, exactly how much, but still every, everybody has always, it's just part of our makeup and it's one of those things that, okay, maybe genetically some people need a little more, or a little less. Everybody needs butyrate and the problem is that whether it's because of antibiotics or worse gut microbiome. I don't think we create enough and then also not enough fibers. I think people always used to eat a lot more fibers. And so for me, I don't think my gut is really does well with tons of fiber. So for me, I have to be very selective about which fibers I include. And so actually, like I do comprehensive lab testing and I've tried to not eat fruits and vegetables. And just eat, just taking this fiber and it's pretty like my labs are great. So I, I find that it's not for me necessary to mean, but you really have to know what you're doing. Cause I take a lot of supplements that kind of give you yeah, things that you people get be, from fruits and vegetables. Cause a lot of people, they can't handle, they just mentally can't handle taking more than five supplements. You got to pick the best five for them or something. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where you're like, right. you need to eat these foods that are rich in you know, all the polyphenols, vitamins Absolutely. and minerals and. If you have food sensitivities, which I think almost everybody has something, one or another food allergies, you need to create that tolerance. Butyrate is one of the core ingredients. And I've taken a bunch of butyrate pills and they don't work as well. You can either take the pills or you can have your factory work for you. Your large intestine is a natural yeah, factory. Yeah, always the best. That's why I do food intolerance testing sometimes, but rarely because I'll do a gut test and I'll see, okay, you've got food intolerances, but we need to improve your butyrate and we need to improve your gut. And then usually that will fix the food intolerances. Right. So I've actually tried these IgG food intolerance testing and I was, I didn't know at first, a little skeptical, but also open-minded. I've done it five times. And I looked at a lot of people's results. I think it's garbage. Yeah. And the IgG. There's ones you can do with IgG, IgA, like a little bit more detail. I did the But IgG. even then, if someone's got leaky gut, you're going to be testing to positive to everything. It's just like a waste of money. You need to fix the gut first and then maybe test if there's something you're suspecting. IgG itself is not that great because like we'd say Epstein-Barr virus, nearly everyone comes back IgG. It means you just had an issue in the past. That could be a reason why you still, you may have had an issue in the past with dairy. You still got these antibodies against dairy, but their IgG, it's not. IgA or it's not yeah, like but an there immediate were certain reaction things that I, there's certain things I knew I was sensitive to in the past or now, and I don't have the IgG. Then what okay. is it telling me? Yeah. <laughs> and then sometimes, yeah. If someone's what reacting could I get from to the test, that's why I rarely do them. Yeah. Food intolerance tests. It's like a, a last resort type of thing. Or if someone's going to really want to do a food intolerance test, they could be an option, but the. Yeah, like, and sometimes people think they're reacting to say wheat, but they're not reacting to wheat. Like we might do, sometimes I'll run detailed gluten testing and they're reacting to wheat more as a FODMAP too. They just don't digest the fiber of wheat or right. something like that. And they're the people that react to wheat in America, but they go to France or something with glyphosate and things like that. And they have no issue over there. Same with Australia, like people react there and they go to Europe and it's less of an issue. So sometimes the quality 
And you can get some good quality in these countries too, but you got to really search for it. Yeah, it's interesting. So the stage that I'm at is I've really done all the conventional lab tests and there's 250 markers or whatever. I actually really like the amino acid tests. Yeah, that's part of that Nutrisat test that I run, yeah. We're, we've, whenever I'm into something, I make sure that Self-Decode really has great information on it. We're adding lots of information for the amino acids, what to do. It's getting big, like it's getting into the whole recommendation system, which I think is really good. Well, there's definitely parts of the organic acids test that I just gloss over. Like one of the most important, or well, one of the things that people are a lot of really interested in is like the neurotransmitter metabolites, but you can't tell what's going on in the brain from what you're peeing out, like with dopamine and well, norepinephrine, you know, things like that. Some good parts yeah. of the test as well, like you can measure quinolinates and chironates, which is well studied. And that's part of the you know, neurotransmitters if someone's creating more neuroinflammation. So that's a good point. I think my prior judgment, my prior opinion, and again, it could change rapidly based on the experiments, is that there's some good things, some junk. But the question is, is it 10% good, 10%? Like 90% junk or 90% good, 10% junk. Yeah. And then based on that, we could look into what would we prioritize in terms of uploading to self-decode and what to give in terms of that analysis, in terms of recommendations. I think, like you said, that's a good point. The quinolate and the kynurenic acid, that would probably decent test in the urine, meaning if they're breaking down things into kynurenin, You'll pro you'll see them pee it out in the urine and should theoretically be a decent test, right? Yeah, and there's there's other markers for some of the B vitamins, methylmalonic acids, fairly well studied. That's a good one. Yeah, so, that's a good one. Yeah, so there's definitely some good, and and then some of the other ones you need to take into the big picture, not just look at one marker in isolation. You like genetics? You don't want to just look at one marker. You want to look at okay, this is out, but what's this doing here? So yeah, I like it'll the be interesting. Yeah, I like the way you think. It's clear that you're actually, you look at things skeptically and not just by, you don't just drink from yeah. the fire hose. I can tell you. <laughs> I'm an actual skeptic. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. You're not drinking from the fire hose. <laughs> you're just like. Because you, you know, can do an organic you know, acid testing. Yeah, come away with a list of like 20 supplements that you may not. No, I, based on the things you mentioned, it's very clear that uh, you're not just drinking from the fire hose. Because I agree, the methylmalonic acid, there's good evidence. Kynurinate and and then the quinolinic acid, that's actually also pretty decent. It's definitely not going to be the first test. Someone comes and sees me and says, you must do an organic acid test. Let's start with blood testing and, <laughs> and then we'll move on from there. I'm curious if you have any other ones that offhand. Some of the, like the organic, it doesn't, it's not like a mold test, but it will have mold and candida metabolite markers. So you often see that. With kids, they'll have a lot of, and it's an easy test to do for kids because it's a urine test. Right. And okay, so let's take it through the litmus test. What percentage of people are positive for these markers in your experience? Candida, very high. Like, it okay. depends on the level then. Like, you'll have some people, they're just high, but then there's other people like off the charts high. Everybody will have some type of candida, but whether they have high levels of candida albicans, and you'll see that more in, and sometimes people just need that confirmation. That's the problem. There's certain things that I see people come out high for very often. Homocysteine, very common. Yeah. But you can, you know, there's a lot of research on it. And then some people don't come out high for it. And you can bring it down. The candida stuff, do you find that it goes down when you treat it? Yeah. And also... With the reference ranges with the labs, they're not very good as well. That's okay. partly. So I have my own reference range on those labs okay. too. And All right. One second. So when you treat it, you find it goes down? It comes down, yeah. Okay. That's an interesting, that's an interesting data point. I like that. What do you treat it with? Berberin? And you also want to make sure that there's no point treating someone in their lab testing crews, but they still feel crap. Like the bottom line is they've got to be feeling good. With candida, things it, like. Unless it's super high, I wouldn't think that it's causing the problems that they think it's causing. I would say it's more of a side effect. Yeah, so you want to be looking at the overall gut health. Yeah. But if someone was treating like, if someone had things like Saccharomyces boulardii, monolaurin, some of the antifungals, or oh, berberine would be one. But 
Okay. Looking at the overall gut health, you want to be getting the butyrate up as well, going back to the whole basics. Okay. And you find that, have you found anyone like very low on it? Very low, like low levels of uh, candida. Candida. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So maybe it's a, maybe stool, stool, stool tests will most likely not come up with candida. People could do an organic acid test and they'll have candida and stool test. So what are you looking at the candida? Kind of just giving you a data point? Yeah, take it into you just you never look at the markers in isolation. You take it into consideration for symptoms and like with as I said, probably a lot of parents use it with their kids because it's an easy test to do. Right. So what else are you looking at? I look at the mitochondrial markers, but I look at those with I'm not looking at those as a great marker for mitochondrial health, but looking at if there's any sort of blockages in that pathway. In that Krebs cycle? Like what? Things like pyruvate, lactic acid, citric acid, the alpha ketoglutarate, the tisinic. And some of those, if there's a blockage, it potentially can be because of B vitamins, coenzyme Q10. So you'd be looking at other data points. Is this the problem or take is it me something through else? That. Yeah, take me through that because I'm actually curious about this. If you can give me examples, that would be great. Yeah. Some of these markers in the Krebs cycle, they, they need cofactors like B vitamins, amino acids. And if they're up, you'd be looking at, you'd be then looking at these other tests. Is it a lack of amino acids and, or is it a lack of B vitamins? And what about just checking serum making, amino acids? Yeah, that would be part of it because you're not going to see the amino acids on the, there's the amino acids section on the organic acid that's test. A urine, so that's not, that's a urine amino acids. And it's only looking for inborn errors of metabolism. It's not looking at your actual amino acid levels. So it's looking but at- I actually, so I don't know if I find the amino acid stuff very good because I know I take in a lot of amino acids and certain amino acids I'm still deficient in. It's going to come up as high on that test probably because I'm probably peeing them out or not on the, it's more of a, like hospitals use organic acid, organic acids tests. Just they don't do the full thing that you buy. They just do the amino acids because they're looking at genetic abnormalities, like not SNPs, but just, so most people, we all come back to normal on that part of the test, that maybe kids who are young. But on the, because is that a serum or urine? That's in the organic urine test. But I find- Like in an ideal the, world, people would- yeah. Wouldn't the uh, serum be better than the urine test for amino acids? Absolutely. So if someone's doing an organic acid test and looking at the Krebs cycle, ideally you'd have the serum amino acids next to it and be able to see, okay. is this making sense with the blockages or is it like the B vitamin, but they, you can see methylmalonic acid is, or B12, B2, they deficient. So you look at the markers in that Krebs cycle, and then you look at the other markers to see what's influencing it. And usually okay. if things are really out of range, like people will have symptoms of the fatigue, brain fog, all those types of things. Okay. Okay. So. I think we're, okay, we're in agreement. You're saying that for the amino acid serum is better, which we agree with, but you're saying like the certain metabolites can give you an indication of why someone has higher or lower levels of a certain amino acid. Yeah. Or how is the, so the amino acids, if they're affecting you, like energy production. Do you have a sample test? Yeah. We've got the organic acids profile here. Yeast and fungal markers. Okay, so imagine this is me. Um, yeah, so... What would you get from this thing? So markers 1 to 9, you're looking at metabolites of arabinos as the uh, candida marker, and that's on the low end. Everything here is on the low end, so there's nothing really... Like if someone came to me and they were suspecting... It's not as good as a mycotoxin test, but you would take into account their signs and symptoms, of course, but... This would be unlikely to be a mold or high candida person. Okay. And so then, that's based on these metabolites from mold or fungus. Yeah. Infections. Okay. And then you've got bacterial markers. The bacterial markers are nowhere near as good as doing a stool test. A, what are your markers a, for, for these, by the way? How often do you check them? I don't do a lot of organic acid testing. As I say, I'll do it. When you say, what are my markers, like how often do I do it? Or what are the reference well, rates? How often are, do you do it? And are any of these things, do you come up higher on any of these things? 
you, with all these lower is better. You don't want average levels of mole, for example, or you don't want to be high. You want to be on the lower end of everything here. Now, as I but said, the, everyone's going to have some type of candida. What do you come up high on here, if any? I did this part of the Nutristat test last year. I don't think I, I didn't have any mold or candida markers. I have okay. always have some of these bacterial markers come up, but some healthy bacteria can also make these as well. I don't pay too much attention to these <laughs> ones because a okay. gut test is much better. Um, so they measure the markers. Well, the Clostridia, there's good species. And if these ones are high, you'll, they've measured these ones in particular because it can affect brain function. And if they're high, you'll often see the, sometimes the quidlinate. You'll often see these high in kids with ADHD, learning difficulties, things like that. But they'll usually have these high with the brain inflammation markers high as well. Okay. See, how are these markers looking you, for example? So these, these are all good. I wouldn't be. So somebody uh, who's no, healthy shouldn't have these elevated. Yeah. You always want to be on the lower side, generally speaking, not for all of these markers and you don't want them. And this looks like it's elevated, but you'll see it's still not, it's not even in the red. They'll mark it red when it's like in that high level. I'm not sure how long this test has been. It was originally developed to check for these inborn errors of metabolism that just added sort of over the years, but this things like oxalates, there's so many things that can influence that from diet to candida. This doesn't automatically, if they've got high oxalic acid here, indicate they need to go on a, a low oxalate diet. I would look at their diet, but I would also look at their gut health and those types of things as well. Interesting. For this one, we have a C. difficile genetic predispositions, genetic predisposition. But something are like you, this, are you, are you, yeah, we have a yeah. genetic predisposition for C. diff. So maybe you can match it with these. I'd be curious about that. Something like C. sporogenesis, that could actually be a good thing. That creates tolerance in the gut. Yeah, I, I need to know you get good species of Clostridia. Yeah, exactly. You need that Clostridia to make some indoles. So are you looking, you're saying that you want these all to be lower, fungal yeast? And fungal markers back. You want them all to be on the low, yeah, on the low side. So from this first page here, there would be no sort of action necessary. It helps to rule, potentially rule some things out or take some things off my radar. If, let's like say if, if everything's someone, low, what's off your radar? I'd suspect mold and candida less. If like I wouldn't rule out gut issues based on these bacteria markers, I'd be looking at a gut test. It's probably rare that I would. I don't think I'd ever do it. I would always do a recommended gut stool test before a organic acid test. But sometimes, as I said, kids, parents or kids will run them because they're easy to do. There's like a simple urine test. See, it sounds like you're not putting too much stock into the intestinal microbial overgrowth part. No, not really. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Next, human Krebs cycle. This is just a diagram of the Krebs cycle. Yeah. So it helps... It's supposed to explain the next phase, essentially. Okay. So what are you looking for here? Oxalate so metabolites? Does that tell you if somebody has... I guess it does. If somebody's peeing out too much oxalates, that could be a... That could be a risk that factor can for be a problem. Oxalate, kidney stones. Yeah. You look at then why they might be high. Is it diet? Is it like even things like... Gut dysbiosis can lead to poor metabolism of oxalates. Candida can affect it. So if they go to, this candida is not high, but if the candida was high, you'd be looking at that. Okay. Um, the gly glycolic acid, are you looking at that? So 22 to 32, they're all looking at the mitochondria. So things like lactic and pyruvic, that's the start of the Krebs cycle. And you, so if, Lactic acid's really high. They maybe instead of pyruvic going, getting converted into acetyl-CoA and into the Krebs cycle, it could be getting into high lactic acids. So that can point towards B vitamin deficiencies, lipoic acid, CoQ10, those types of things. And you find so that when people take B vitamins, was, lactic acid goes down? It could be 
you'd also look at amino acids, but also coenzyme Q10, lipoic acid, all those typical mitochondrial nutrients. And how are you measuring those? Are you checking them in the blood? Some of them you check in the blood. Some of them, some of the B vitamins you can check here. The amino acids you have to check in the blood. Coenzyme Q10 is probably not a perfect test for that, right? I think. I do think, I think they check serum levels of COQ10, which I think is good. You can check it. Yeah. Yeah. But whether it's like some blood tests for things, they could change so much. Like magnesium, for example, just because magnesium's okay in the blood doesn't mean you wouldn't benefit from more magnesium. So how do you know if you need more magnesium? You could try it. It's depending on the person, like we're looking at their signs and symptoms. You could either trial giving them magnesium. It's probably one of the main supplements that I'd recommend that people would okay. need more magnesium. With the rest of these markers, once again, you want to see these on the lower side. Most of them are a couple, the so, 30, 32. One, one second though, the lactic. This is probably not a good sample report because there's not too much going wrong with it. But let's say the lactic acid, if I see this high, you're going to think that it, it could be, maybe somebody's just training hard. Could be. Yeah. So you'd want to be looking at their signs and symptoms. Are they getting these typical fatigue? Are they exercising and getting fatigued really quickly without, without really overexertion? Are they walking upstairs and their legs a couple of flights of stairs and they can't handle that? So I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be thinking, oh, your lactic acid's high. You need to, I, I guess a bunch of supplements. I guess the only, I, I guess you have to control for it based on the level of exercise. Somebody's exercising more is going to assume. Generally speaking, out. I will recommend people, even if it's a blood test, don't go and do your CrossFit workout the day before a blood test. Okay. Same okay. with this type of thing. Yeah, I see that. And the pyruvic acid, what are you going to recommend if it's what you're looking at? If it's low or high. I'm, look, I'm looking at if it's high. If it's high and if you're looking at the same sort of things, like the same sort of mitochondrial nutrients, the vitamin again, lipoic acid, CoQ10, if it's high, there's a blockage getting into that first part of the Krebs cycle. Okay. I'll be um, looking at, and it's probably like a, it could be a skewed database as well, because a lot of people are doing this test. They're doing it because they, They've tried a lot of other things. They do have fatigue and things like that too. People with chronic fatigue will often not do well on this test. Okay. Whereas and people, about I don't know who this person is or even how old they are, but people who are generally healthy, they will generally do okay. Okay. What about the mitochondrial markers? I haven't memorized. I've got like a list of all the things that each one can be like there's different cofactors for amino acids. B12, things like alpha ketoglutarate can help in this pathway. So I'd be looking at each marker for number for the alpha ketoglutarate would be number 27. So if somebody has elevated ox, levels, this is alpha ketoglutarate or two oxoglutarate? Adding alpha ketoglutarate can help as a supplement. Why is that? It's part of the, it's part of the cofactor in this pathway. So, so you're looking at the ratio of, okay, if you're high on oxoglutarate and then you're low on succinate, you're probably, there's, you're, you don't have enough of a cofactor for the two oxoglutarate and then AKG will help for that. Yeah. So each one, and you're not going to end up with a bunch of supplements. A lot of these mitochondrial supplements will cover a lot of these in them. So what are your like top? You're looking at high levels or low levels or both? You're mainly looking at if levels are too high. So if levels are too high, what if levels are too low? If something's, if you have high 2-oxyglutarate or let's say you have so too high, you have high 2-oxyglutarate, but also high succinate. So you're still converting it. I guess you're not so converting you're enough to fumarate. If you, so for example, if you're taking alpha ketoglutarate, that won't make that marker go high. It'll actually lower the marker. There's only, the markers go high if there's a block in that pathway. Okay. So if someone's supplementing lots, you generally expect these markers to be low. Supplementing with B vitamins or alpha ketoglutarate? Or lipoic acid, coenzyme Q10, I mean, just amino acids. There's a lot of different cofactors in each, each thing there. 
So you find that lipoic acid, for example, what would lipoic acid help with? Lipoic acid is mainly at the top where for the pyruvate. So lipoic acid is going to help with high pyruvate. Yeah, converting it into acetyl-CoA for carbohydrate metabolism. Okay, interesting. And high malic acid means what? It's it's probably not one of the ones that I would focus on. Things like the py, lactic or pyruvic or citric or systemic, maybe the main ones I'd be focusing on. Uh, so four of them out of these markers, out of the mitochondrial markers, you're looking at four glycolytic cyclometabolites at mitochondrial markers. You're looking at four of them. I'll, I'll look at the, I'll look at 30 to 32 as well. They're often elevated to low in certain amino acids, things like carnitine can affect this. But I would say that, uh, I would say that just looking at the serum, if you have the serum amino acids, that would be, then this wouldn't be relevant, right? That's a better test. Yeah. That's a better test for measuring the amino acids. If you optimize your amino acid serum test, yeah, you may not need an organic acid test. I appreciate the call and the podcast and uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Do you, where's your practice if people want to find more information about it? So I just, I don't have a physical office anymore. I work online. So people can find me at planetnaturopath.com. It's the best place. I'm not okay. very strong on social media or all those things, but go to the website. Okay. Have everybody do a self-decode test? Do you recommend it to everybody like a genetic test or some people or how does that work? I often recommend it to most people, whether they sometimes people need to convince, some people have worries about genetics, just trying to educate them. If people have already done like a 23andMe, I'll left and just upload it for them and then just okay. send them a video giving them a snippet of why they should do it. And then they'll often, people, when people see the advantages, it's really because there's so much stuff, like people don't know how much you can do, like all the blood testing and the recommendations. Thanks for having me. Awesome. On. Thanks. All right. Take care. 67% of listeners aren't following the show. So please don't forget to show your support by hitting the follow button now. You'll not only be supporting the show, but also investing in yourself and your health journey, all while helping to keep us ad free.